For player profiles, in-depth features, and exclusive interviews, visit sfhandbook.com to learn more about the best young football players in the world. Hello, welcome back to the Scouted Football Podcast. Uh, it's been a while, it has been a little while since we last recorded, but in the meantime, the boys have held down the fort superbly on the Scouted Football Patreon with regular pods, top analysis, and comprehensive coverage of the Under-17 European Championships, which took place last month. Um, that is the subject of our discussion today, recapping the tournament, which has handed breakthroughs to the likes of Mark Gurhi, Phil Foden, Sancho Hudson-Odoi, Adil Oshish, Amin Guiri, Kai Havertz, Apamecano, Odson Edward, uh, Ruben Neves, Renato Sanchez, the list goes on and on and on. Um, uh, having followed this year's tournament from a, from a fair bit of a distance, it, it was great to read what, what Steve and Lou were churning out, summarising the, the various games and, and seeing their verdicts confirm some of my own observations. Um, but I've got the pair of them uh, on this week's podcast. Um, Steve, Lou, thanks for joining me. Um, where does where does the 2022 UEFA Under-17 Euros rank in terms of the youth international tournaments that, that we've covered in the past? Yeah, it was definitely a lot of fun. Uh, really came to this one, I think Lou knew a few more players than, than I did, but I was fairly blind coming into this one. Uh, these tournaments are always uh, kind of intriguing because Under-17 football is very, very, very different to uh, senior football and we kind of saw it again, very high scoring Defenses sometimes left a little bit to uh, you know to be desired, uh, but also a lot of individual quality, even from defenders. But especially, I think, uh, as you normally see, probably at this level, the attacking talent comes to the fore a little bit more. Uh, we definitely saw some very very high quality young attackers uh, in this tournament. I pretty much just back up what uh, Stephen says there. Like, uh, it's just good to, to have it back after three years away now obviously because of COVID, but uh, yeah, all in all, a really enjoyable tournament. And it's uh, it's one of those tournaments that you get like your first glimpse at some of the the, the really good players coming through. It's it's different to the under-19 uh, and under-21 age groups where they're a bit more established, they're a bit more rounded, they're a bit more mature. Most A lot of them would already have played senior minutes, but in the under-17s, these guys are just breaking into, their, into uh, senior football and this is this can be a uh, a launch pad onto bigger, better things as we've seen previously. Yeah, it's very much a sort of a showcase tournament, isn't it? And and you know, just the names that I rattled off to begin with there. I mean, that that was just over the past five, six, seven years, um, and that's a pretty decorated list as it is. Uh, we do have a little disclaimer uh, to begin this episode, <laughs> and it's that if Lou does sound a little bit husky, it's because Wales obviously qualified for the World Cup for the first time in sixty-four years. Um, so I think we can cut him some slack on that one just a fair bit, and I think anyone who's listening in Wales will will understand uh, why that is the case. But I think. In terms of the, um, the the format of this episode, it's probably best to go through uh, the, the the team of the tournament and, and pick out some key names that that you guys identified as being you know leaders of of this tournament. And I mean, again, looking back through previous teams of the tournament, it's decorated with with lots and lots of of talented players and and familiar names. Um, obviously, not all eleven players and subs that that we've selected, or rather, you guys have selected, uh, will go on to be you know playing in Europe's top five leagues in three, four, five years' time. But I think it's fair to say that there'll be a healthy portion of them um, that, that, will, that will be following at, at the highest level. 
Um, I mean, guys, I don't know, I don't know who, which one of you wants to start or or, or where you want to begin. Um, but looking down the list, I mean, obviously for me, there's a lot of new names there. Um, there, there's one or two that I think we've covered previously on this pod. Um, give I'll give away one that's Warren Zaire Emery that um, we discussed in the UEFA Youth League podcast, and, and I know that you guys are very, uh, very high on him. Um, but I mean, do you where, where do you Steve? Where do you want to start with with the team of the tournament? I mean, who who was someone that you contributed to to this very very comprehensive um, list? Yeah, well, I think maybe it might be best to to start with France, although it's probably. Uh, more lose area of expertise, but I think, uh, well, we, I guess we can touch on Warren Zayemery again, but this was probably just further confirmation of, of how dominant he is uh, at his age group. I think he, at the at the in the UEFA Youth League, it was possibly uh, a little bit more impressive what he was doing just because he was playing at such a high level and playing at under-19 level. Uh, but this was just further confirmation then when he does drop down to under-17 level, that not only is he just good, but he quite clearly stands out, you know, a big, big step above just about everyone else. Uh, so further confirmation that this guy is absolutely 100% uh, or as close as you can get to 100%. I shouldn't confirm any, anything, but uh, as close as you can get to a guarantee, just good senior player in the future because, you know, he's probably only two years away from already being someone that could come in and, and contribute very easily at at senior level so uh very excited by what he is bringing to the table once again uh he'll be definitely one to keep a track of i'm sure he'll be playing uefa youth league again uh next season psg are desperately trying to extend his contract i'm not 100 sure if that's uh locked in again yet um but he's just an all-round midfielder can do bits and pieces of everything we've we've touched on him many many times but uh he is a gonna be a superstar and then there's Kumbedi at right back, which I'll probably throw to, to Luan because he'll be a bit more familiar with. Uh, yeah, just to come back on uh, Zaire Emery, um, just a couple of words from me, just to say that this is a pretty bold statement, but he probably is the best 16-year-old under-17 player that I've ever watched. And I've watched quite a few over the past few years with uh, scouting football, but Zaire Emery, in terms of his like just his overall quality, his overall ability at his age is is pretty special and spectacular. But um, yeah, to come back on to Kambedi, uh, straight away from the first game uh, against it was Bo- not it wasn't Bulgaria. Poland. It was Poland. Poland. Uh, like he stood out straight away. He's already played first team minutes at at, at Le Havre in league there. It's only about a hundred minutes altogether, but it's still fairly significant for someone of his age and uh yeah he stood out straight away very vertical from right back uh he can dominate a wing by himself which was a feature of France's system and how the right winger tucked in a bit more and Kumbedi was there just uh moving between both boxes uh he's a, a competitive defender but then his real quality at this level at least stands out when he's attacking he's got uh he attack space really cleverly so like some of his first touches and passes in in behind defenses is is really clever and intelligent for his age but then he also has that ability to carry the ball and dribble into the box and combine around the area and uh yeah he was probably the standout right back and he of of the tournament and he cemented that in the final when he scored two goals to flip the game in two minutes against the netherlands 
and uh, win France's only, only the third under-17 international title. Yeah, it should be said that um, obviously France were, were, were victors in this one, uh, in this tournament, um, winning 2-1 over the Netherlands in, in the final. Um, had to rely on penalties against Portugal in the semis uh, to get past, uh, but Zaya Emery actually opened the scoring in that game. Um, and yeah, I think, you know, the, it's, it's fair to say that France didn't exactly have an easy route to the final. You know, they played, uh, the, they played Germany in the quarters, obviously Portugal in the semis, and then had to defeat Netherlands in the, uh, in the final. Um, so, you know, it wasn't exactly a, a, walk, a walk in the park for them. But then again, I suppose when you've got 16 teams in the tournament, you're, you're probably going to wheedle out the, the poorer sides or the, the less experienced, the weaker teams in the group stages. Um, I, in terms of the, the French players, was it just Zaya Emery and, and Combedi who were um, who were two of the, the French lads in the uh, team of the tournament? Uh, no. So there was a couple more on the bench. One of them was, well, both of them are from Stade René. One of them is Desiree Doué. Uh, uh, like a, a very silky number 10 that can like link between zones really well. But then the other one then was uh, Matisse Tell, who along with Zaire Emery is probably the standout talent of the entire tournament in terms of projecting his potential. Uh, he played up front, he led the line for France and he could. he's so multidimensional. It's so impressive and it just makes it so excited for what he can be in the future if he if he hits his straps a bit. Uh, he's tall, he's fast, he's intelligent, he's got a nice touch when he's dropping off to link play. He's got like this nonchalant technique which uh, he used to good effect against Bulgaria, like just 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 placing one in the top corner right in the postage stamp from about 25 yards, which is just one of those goals that were just typical of him. And um, Probably the worst thing you could say about him was that he tried a little too hard and tried to do everything himself a little bit sometimes, which was probably unnecessary given the quality of some of his teammates. Yeah, 100%. I think you can see that he's that he knows he's too good for this level already and he and he played like it at times, tried a bit too much, but I think you can probably forgive him for that. And his overall, he didn't quite make our first team in the uh, team of the tournament. We'll come on to who beat him out in the uh, in the striker slot, but uh yeah, he was so close to maybe two or three more goals which would have elevated him to that level. Do you think that maybe comes from the fact that he's actually made senior appearances for, for Stade Rene this season? You know, I think it's a six or seven games off the top of my head that he's played. Uh, probably you know, the vast majority coming off the bench, as you'd understand. And obviously, that club in particular are renowned for, for producing um, you know, talented young French players uh, and, and then blooding them in the first team very gradually. Um, is, is that something, you know, him maybe trying to do everything himself? Is that, I don't know, the fact that he th- he maybe thinks that, okay, you know, I've got the, I've got, you know, a, a bit more experience than, than my teammates, even if they are, like Zai Emery, very, very talented. I think he's just extremely, extremely good. And as Lou said, he, he, he knows it. And not only does he know he's good, but um, he's got that really multidimensional skill set that, he can dribble, he can shoot, he can pass, he can do everything. Uh, so, And he's got the speed and the acceleration and, and the explosiveness and strength as well, I think, compared to other players at that level that probably gives him a little bit more confidence maybe uh, compared to playing at senior level to take a little bit more on himself and, and try to be, uh, you know, maybe a little bit more selfish, but uh, probably in thinking that it's going to be of a, a benefit to his team. 
Okay, fair enough. Um, I think it's probably best to to move on to to the the runners up and 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 those players, the Netherlands, um, who were in uh, the the team of the tournament. I think just uh, looking down this list here, I think there's about three or four, or at least there's three or four Dutch looking names in the uh, in the the uh, team of the tournament lineup and substitutes. Um, I mean, there was one or two that I was aware of before the tournament. Um, and when I say aware of, I mean, I knew who they were. Uh, I hadn't really watched a, an extensive amount of them. Um, but that was Isaac Babadi and um, Gabriel Mizoy, um, who were both attacking players and have both made it into the uh, the actual starting 11 of this one. Um, I think it was against uh, Bulgaria. That was, I think it was the, the Netherlands opening game. Watched, that, watched them there and they went behind in that match. But you could just see the... the the, the comfort in possession, particularly with with Mizoy, you know, between the lines, um, you know, he was he was also you know could get into the penalty area and, and cause a few problems there, um, and you know, Lou, you've watched him at Ajax, you know, he's he's a he's a very adept uh, attacking midfielder, um, and you know likes to pick up the ball in in tighter spaces, and but manages to to squeeze a pass out or squeeze one through. I think there was. An example in that game where he sort of like looped the ball over one of the Bulgaria defenders. It didn't end up in a in a goal or anything like that, but it was just showed that that intuition and the the ingenuity that he has. I mean, in in terms of like further depth on 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 Mizohoy and, and Babadi, what was it about them in this tournament that's had them you know selected in the in in, in the scouted team? Uh, in terms of, I'll start with Babadi. Uh, I think I tweeted out on the on the account in during one of the games saying that he's the most natural in in air quotes player at this tournament and just like the way he he manipulates the ball is just so distinct to him almost every touch is you can just tell it's Babadi on the ball like the way he moves the ball between both feet he can, he's got like really innate balance when he's uh, carrying through bodies he can flip it between both feet he can use every part of his foot to to move the ball and then he's got like this uh this nice vision around the box which he uses to to try and make plays to try and be the playmaker which he was uh quite regularly for the Netherlands at this team uh, at this tournament and then Mizahoy yeah as you mentioned another guy that we've watched at youth league level but uh the interesting quirk with him at this tournament was his change of role so with Ajax, he was much more that uh, typical Ajax interior in a four-three-three on the left-hand side. But in this tournament, he was much more of a uh, an off-ball presence, attacking the box much more, breaking ahead of the ball much more, and he did it really well. We we saw glimpses of it in the youth league, but it wasn't his role there. But in this tournament, it was his role, and he and he really flourished in it to score a couple of key goals at key moments to 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 take the Netherlands to the final. Uh, yeah, I was also a big fan of, uh, you know, for me, I have a natural uh, gravitation towards Juventus players. And uh, we've got on the bench here, Dean Housen, who, uh, well, we both have both Dutch centre-backs, but I was particularly impressed by Housen. Uh, Lou was more of a block seal guy, uh, but Housen is a, a big, lanky, he's probably close to two metres tall, uh, centre-back from Juve, who uh, they, they signed him from uh, Malaga about 12 months ago, uh, who's come on uh, leaps and bounds by all accounts uh, at Juve since he since he arrived. He's been uh, moved into training with the first team on occasion uh, and, yeah, lit up this tournament from from what I could see, uh, an excellent ball player, uh, just looks so confident. Both the Dutch centre-backs look quite confident, but Housen in particular 
really looked to take on a lot of responsibility in ball progression, which the Dutch team in general kind of allowed their their centre-backs to take control of that part of the game uh, and kind of sent their midfielders further forward to be more impactful in the final third uh, and then filtered a lot of possession out wide. So, yeah, he was on the left side. Babadi was on the left side most of the time uh, and you saw a lot of that kind of you know, funneling out wide to him, but also a lot of nice play through the through the center of the park and through the lines with the, some high difficulty passes. And he, yeah, at all times looked super super comfortable playing those balls. So probably the you know the thing that I'd say, center backs are hard to judge at this age, um, and there's a lot to go, a lot of water to go on the under the bridge in terms of their physical development and then how they adapt to to defending senior bodies. But uh, with the quality that he had in possession. Uh, if he can just be a kind of above average-ish defender, then with the quality he has in, in possession, he could be a real real big weapon if he if he develops well. I, I really like the look of uh, Jaden Slory when I watched um, Netherlands games um, at, at this tournament because uh, I'd, I'd heard of him at Feyenoord before, um, obviously a very... Uh, you know, a, a reputable academy set up there produces a lot of a lot of players quite similar to Slory, I think. Um, but I think you you said in your your team of the tournament notes that the only reason that he's not getting into the starting eleven and has to settle for a place on the bench uh, in in the scouted team is because you know he's an out and out right winger and the it just didn't settle with the formation. So I think it's fair to say that he's definitely a, a contender for for one of the players of of, of the tournament mainly because he's you know he, he was quite good in in terms of output, you know. A, a dual threat scored goals uh, picked up assists as well um and i think in terms of you know you've got babadi on one side you've got slory on the other you've got mizohoy sort of playing in the hole maybe a little bit in behind the the attacking trio um you know i i did really like the look of slory and and what you were saying on um on babadi uh, lou in terms of how he was a natural natural player I think you could say similar of, of Slory in terms of just the way that he moved. There seemed to be a lot of flow in his movements, um, you know, with with the ball. It, nothing sort of seemed disjointed, which is always a good sign, um, especially at this age. You know, the, the fact that these players are, are already very comfortable in possession um, against their peers. Um, and, you know, I think... Slory, you know, if we're, if we're going to get even more rudimentary, you know, just the the, the goals that he did score were, were quite important on, on Netherlands' route to, to the final. Um, I don't know whether you guys had any further thoughts on, on him or, you know, if, if, if you know, there, there was a different formation that he would be in that in that starting 11. Uh, yeah, I think it's good that you do mention Slory because, as you said, on any other tournament, any other team of the tournament, he probably would have been, he probably should have been in it. But just the way that the names fell in this, in our particular one, didn't sort of facilitate him as a, as a realistic option. Uh, but um, <clears throat> yeah, uh, I think you mentioned flow there and a, a flow is a good word to describe him in terms of how smooth his changes of tempo are. Like they're so smooth, they look quite slow, but then he just breezes past, past defenders really easily uh and yeah he was a he was a really good foil to what Babadi and Mizahoy were doing in terms of a, a, adding a different dimension as a more direct dribbler on his orthodox side as a right-footed right winger as well so his first instinct basically was to square up his man and try and beat him and he did it regularly. He did it with like little nice, lovely little changes of um of tempo, like these little stop and start 
uh, skills uh, just to create that little step of separation. And then he just turned on the afterburners and he was past them, getting to the byline. And from there, then he was a, he was a threat with some cutbacks, and he scored the goal in the final, which the Netherlands put um, which put the Netherlands ahead. And uh, yeah, I was speaking to Case van Hemmen, friend of the pod, about him, and he says that Slory is the best attacking talent that Feyenoord have produced have produced since the uh, Joshua Zirkse. So that's quite high praise for him, and he'll be definitely be one that, to watch over the next couple of years. Okay, well, that rounds up uh, the finalists who took a place in the scouted football team of the tournament at the under-17 Euros. Uh, and just a bit of a roundup there to um, to, to recap, you know, the players that, that were in there and, and who they play their club football for. You've got Sile Combedi, who scored two in the final. He plays for Le Havre uh, as, a, as a defender. Um, Warren Zaire Emery, who we've waxed lyrical about, uh, still just 16 uh, 2006 born and plays for Paris Saint-Germain. Desiree Doué, uh, he plays for Stade Rene. He was on the bench in this team of the tournament. Matisse Tell, um, Stade Rene as well. Uh, and then the, the Dutch. Uh, so you had Timon Blokzil, who is um, an FC Groningen um, prospect, plays at centre-half. Dean Huysen, as Steve mentioned, is at Juventus. Um, Gabriel Mizohoy at Ajax, uh, Isaac Babadi at PSV. Obviously, those two playing for for the young versions of those sides so far, as they're still you know sixteen and seventeen. Uh, and Jaden Slory, who is uh, at Feyenoord. Um, I think it's probably we, we've skirted around this a little bit because we focused on the finalists, but the 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 tournament's top scorer didn't play for one of um didn't play for one of France or the Netherlands. Um, he, in fact, played for Serbia instead. Uh, and Serbia managed to, to, to reach the semi-finals, ended up losing out on penalties, um, which was obviously a, a harsh way to go, given how, how strongly they'd done throughout the entire tournament. You know, drawing with Belgium, uh, beating Turkey, drawing with Spain. You know, they were effectively in, in 90 minutes, they were unbeaten. Um, and I suppose you'd have to say that a key reason for that is um, is, is the, the top scorer of the tournament, um, Jovan Milosevic. Um, I didn't watch any of Serbia's games, so I actually don't have any clue about what his style is like, whether he's a big stocky centre forward or he's he's a play on the shoulder uh, type uh, attacker. Um, who, who, who'd like to take a, a little bit of uh, Milosevic? Yeah, this Serbia team was great. It was kind of a bit of a throwback to the under-20 World Cup in 2015 when, when Serbia won. Uh, kind of came into the tournament with a pretty clear way that they wanted to play. Uh, and uh, I think just had players that were just a little bit bigger, more physical, and kind of leaned into the way that they did want to play. Uh, but then up top, they had Jovan Milosevic, who uh, plays for Vojvodina in Serbia and is great. Uh, uh, again, another player I had heard nothing about before watching uh, any games this tournament, but he was super impressive. Just a, a striker that can do a bit of everything. Uh, is already quite well-developed athletically, and you could see him very shortly playing uh, first-team football in Serbia. But he brought creativity. He brought, uh, you know, runs in behind. He could carry the ball himself, dribble. He was a threat in the air. Uh, yeah, he, he pressed and worked hard off the ball as well. Um, so he kind of just saw, a bit like Tell, the building blocks of a, a player that could, uh, yeah, be really impactful in, in multiple facets of, of the play. Uh, so in a team that uh, relied on set pieces, uh, he also took penalties and took some really important ones and finished them all. 
yeah, he was just a really, really, really fun player. So I'm definitely uh, got him on the short list as someone to, to keep track of because uh, I think with his quite multifaceted skill set, there's a really, really high ceiling there. Yeah, so Milosevic is the standout of this Serbia team uh, and deservedly earned his place in the in our team of the tournament. And then we also had a couple more, one in the starting 11 and then one on the bench. The one in the starting 11 was their goalkeeper, Luka Lajekic. Uh, um, goalkeeping isn't our speciality, uh, so it wasn't something that we focused on particularly, but there was a couple of games that stuck in the memory of Lexic throughout the tournament, especially in the group stage, where his saves kept Serbia in the game. There was uh, the game against Turkey where they, where they won 2-1. I think it was one of his sprawling saves that, that kept it from going 2-2, which is a particularly, uh, a particularly good one. I think against Belgium, he made a couple of really good reaction saves. But um, yeah, just to tie into what Stephen says about uh, this Serbia team being physical and uh, quite mature for their age, Lajekic is a is a continuation of that. Like he's tall, he's gangly, uh, and he also takes responsibility in terms of coming off his line to to sweep up behind defenses and and claim high crosses. So uh, yeah, he was uh, a part of a of a very solid team, which can go fairly far. And then in I the think future, Simic, I think Simic, the centre back, again probably of the physical Serbian players was probably the most physical of the lot. He was a, a real a real brick uh, that could play at centre-back and right-back. Uh, and he brought a huge amount to the table. And he was, like, I was surprised kind of with his physique, how he was able to kind of shift out onto the right and uh, not look off the boil uh, in terms of technicality. Uh, but then also when he kind of moved into the right side of a, of a three, was really aggressive, uh, was really dominant in physical duels. And uh, I saw him, uh, in terms of comparisons to, to senior players, like quite uh, similar stylistically to someone like Yoshko Gvardiol. So um, that is kind of the, the skill set that's becoming all the rage in anyone that plays a back threes. You want that kind of wide center back that's really aggressive, good on the ball. Uh, and so, yeah, he's definitely someone that kind of looks like going in, in that sort of pathway. I knew you were going to mention the Serbia under twenty team from twenty fifteen, Steve. You had just the the obsession that you had with Nemanja Maksimovic. Um, just, I'm very predictable. You're very predictable. Did you see um, Maksimovic's uh, wedding pictures? Actually, he was um, he, he was wearing a crown. I don't know whether that's a Serbian thing or he's just incredibly <laughs> egotistical. Um, but yeah, he was wearing like a full on crown. Um, yeah, I thought it was the bride who's supposed to wear the veil. But hey, you know what? Um, let, let 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 the man live. And Milinkovic Savic was in that team as well. But so, I mean, if anyone was the king, I think Milinkovic Savic was the the king. But we'll, we'll allow it for for uh, Maximovic as well. 2016, 2017, Steve would be absolutely just just horrified that you're you're willing to throw him under the bus like this and just crown Milinkovic Savic instead. <laughs> oh, honestly. Um. Anyway, before we get too distracted by that, um, back to back to Milosevic. Um, and again, as I said, I, I had absolutely no. Um, prior knowledge of him um, and a quick Google has told me that uh, Milosevic scored 15 goals in 12 games in the Kadetska Liga this season for uh, Vojvodina uh, in the Serbian League I, I presume that's the under 17 division um, and it's quite refreshing to see that um, there is a you know a tournament standout play, still playing for 
you know, not one of the big boys in, in whether that's in, in his, you know, national, uh, in, in his country or um, across Europe and, and hasn't already been poached because the other night when uh, I think it was Zalan Vansa came on for Hungary to become the youngest ever player, I was like, oh, that's fantastic. I want to see who he plays for. And lo and behold, he plays for Lommel, which uh, people may or may not know is part of the City Football Group umbrella. And that just was like a pin to the balloon that he'd already been discovered and was basically already hoovered up by City Football Group. Uh, so yeah, Milosevic is, is fighting the good fight, I think it's fair to say. But I think probably Milosevic is one of those profiles that will get nabbed sooner rather than later. I was saying this to Stevie the uh, the other week that he just seems primed for that move to Serie A to a club like Fiorentina or Torino to that sort of mid-level Serie A club where he, he'll probably break through in like two seasons and follow what Vlahovic has done or something. So I wouldn't I wouldn't jump the gun too early on that. No, I and mean, he's got the stature, doesn't he? So I suppose that if you're if you're looking at very rudimentary scouting, then um, yeah, he ticks a lot of boxes in the in the Vlahovic department. Um, I'm sure Steve will have very uh, very clear opinions on that, but um, I think we'll save that for another day. Um, in terms of the the other players in the turn uh, the the team of the tournament, um, ones who didn't make it to to the um, to the semi-finals or or the final, as we've already discussed, you know, who were the others who pl- maybe played fewer games, but you know, stood out enough to be selected uh, alongside those finalists and semi-finalists. I think some of the Portuguese players might be upset that you skipped over them as semi-finalists, but uh, we've got three of them. In Can the, you tell who didn't watch all of the tournament? <laughs> we got three of them in the starting eleven, one on the bench, and and they were really really fun as well. Probably a little bit unlucky that. Eventually, you have to come up against France, who were were equally as good. Uh, but that game was was spectacular. Um, player I probably wanted to start off with was uh, Dario Sugo, who's already uh, played senior minutes for Sporting. Uh, if people are active on Twitter, they might have seen a video of him crying when he made his debut. Uh, actually, was not was it? I think it was towards the end of the season before last. Um, I think he might have been. 15 at the time even yeah uh i might might be off on my timings but regardless uh, actually i've got it written here march 2021 uh and yeah i i kind of saw him as a kind of a wilfred indeedy-esque just the amount of work uh that you that he could get through in a single game uh was quite incredible uh kind of i, I think i have written down uh that he kind of get, got tired watching him just because he was just buzzing around everywhere. You'd catch him up on a flank somewhere. Then you'd see him at left back, filling in a hole. Uh, but then when he got on the ball, he just looked fantastic as well. Technically, uh, we can go on about his ball striking because in that semi-final defeat to France, he he lashed one from about 45 yards that just sailed into the top corner just with incredible speed and power. Um, so definitely, again, he's already played uh, senior minutes. He's part of Sporting's UEFA Youth League setup already regularly. Uh, so I am definitely looking forward to, to seeing more of him. Just a really tactically intelligent player as well. Never let the game really get in behind him too often. Uh, so I think, you know, with that mental side already being locked in at a, at a young age as well to go with the... Uh, physical aspect, his just willingness to work really, really hard will take him a long way. Yeah, and then the other one that stood out for me, 
I think Stevie has another one that he wanted to speak about in uh, Afonso Moreira. But the other one was another sporting boy. And he was the left back for Portugal, a right footed left back, we should say. So that maybe, so we didn't really see the best of him in attacking areas because of that, possibly. But that was uh, Leonardo Barroso, uh, like a very unique sort of physique. He's he's small, he's but he's he's small, but he's uh, very stocky. He's got short legs, but like he's got like a big barrel chest, and uh, like like he was just so competitive in duels. Uh, he used like that little small stature to uh, to like nip around, to pounce on on, on loose passes, to match. Uh, wingers in the one v one duels, and uh, yeah, that competitiveness was a was a big feature of his game. I think it. I can't remember which game it was now, but there was one where he uh, when he was chasing back and he dived across, intercepted a pass which was about five yards away from him, got back up and just pinged a pass over the top for Ivan Lima to score. And so yeah, he he was he was a really fun player to watch. Again, another one that was completely new to me. So uh, I'll, I'll be keen to see how he how he does in the next couple of years, especially in the in the youth league. If uh, if Sporting are in it again, and uh, yeah, I don't know if Stevie wants wants to touch on Moreira. Yeah, so Sporting had probably the well, I guess we have to say the best players. They got three in the starting eleven. Uh, the best players out of the typical Portuguese giants that we see uh, supplying players to to this kind of team uh but Moreira was great uh a, a right winger that would cut inside go wide uh could do you know whatever you needed him to do whether it was getting to the byline getting those little chipped crosses back to the to the back post uh or he could come inside and, and create and score for himself uh so showed excellent uh finishing uh there was a nice uh flat uh, driver that he scored in the semi-final. He scored a run from outside the box. He scored a left-footed volley. Uh, and then he also scored a goal in transition where he basically ran uh, half the field after a, a corner for, for the opposition and, and scored that as well. So showed variety in his finishing, showed really, really high-level tech, technical ability to, to dribble through multiple players at once. Uh, so yeah, another one, as you'd expect, Portuguese winger with uh, excellent technical ability. But I think the key is that uh, he can then turn that into genuine uh, impact in the penalty box in the final third, and and by creating and scoring. So, uh, I, I think a lot to a lot to come from him as well. Now, off the top of my head, we haven't we've pretty much covered most of the the players in this team. Now, I think we've we've missed out in terms of the subs. We've got Samuele Di Benedetto, which, despite the sounding of his name, he's not Italian. Uh, he was playing for for Germany. Uh, Tarek Buchmann, who sounds a lot more German, and funnily enough, played for Germany. Um, Danny Rodriguez, um, he was playing uh, for Spain. Uh, who else did we have that we haven't mentioned so far? Javi um, Bonya. Javi Bonya, of course, yeah, um, and yeah. I mean, in terms of those guys, the 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 ones that now I'll correctly say didn't make it to to the semifinals. Um, what what was uh, what was what was the reason for their selections? Yeah, well, I think Spain were they started the, the tournament pretty strongly, but uh, seemed to fade out a little bit as the tournament went on. But uh, Danny Rodriguez, in particular, in the first game, started off super super struggling, and I thought he would probably be the player that would really take over, uh, but didn't play the second game. And then I think just didn't quite 
hit the the consistent heights that I expected he would bring at this level. Uh, him in, in tandem with Ike Bravo for, for Spain, especially as I said in that first game, was really, really exciting. Uh, Ike Bravo didn't make this team, but he plays for, for Leverkusen, moved from Barcelona and scored some uh, a couple of really nice goals as well in the in the opening game. Um, and then Javi Bonya, he plays for, for Fernando Torres' Atletico Madrid team. Uh, it played in the UEFA Youth League this season. Uh, can play centre-back or right-back, but uh, just was like a really, really smart player. Uh, isn't super physical, isn't super quick, but just seems to have very strong uh, defensive fundamentals. Uh, looks really like a really good leader, captain of the team. Looks like he's in control of his defensive line and the other players in it. Um, and then, obviously, as a someone that can play right back, is very comfortable on the ball. Plays for Spain. He's, Spain is very comfortable on the ball. And then, despite not being like a big centre back or anything like that, has really good nous in the air. Uses his body well uh, and reads the ball in flight really well. Um, and was able to get on the the end of a, a couple of headers to score. I think twice he scored in the tournament. Um, so yeah, he was a lot of fun. Uh, Lou's probably better to talk about for the German players, or there was a bunch of German players that were good without quite being good enough to make this team. Uh, obviously, Di Benedetto and Bookman, but I will yeah throw to, to Lou to maybe run through those two. Yeah, so this Germany team was uh, pretty stacked. Uh, we picked out a couple of them in our, in our pre-tournament ones to watch piece on our Patreon. Uh, like Tom Bischoff. Tom Bischoff had a good, uh, he had a good tournament overall. I think you could see like his quality was shining through. Uh, Paul Vanner as well, Bayern's youngest ever player. He started the tournament really well with a uh, with a really really good solo goal. But uh, Germany sort of struggled to fit him into their system a bit, and he was a bit on the periphery, which probably doesn't do his talent justice. Uh, there was Jenan Pejinovic. Who was the he before the tournament? He'd scored sixteen in thirteen caps at this level. He was the top scorer in the in the qualifying. But again, Germany didn't quite use him as much as I was expecting them to. They preferred uh, uh, Viper <coughs> up front, uh, and then but yeah, the other two that made our team in the tournament: Tarek Buchmann, at right centre back. Again, another another guy that I had no idea of. Uh, prior to this tournament, but he really impressed me in terms of his flexibility as a as a central defender in the way that he can uh, press up onto the ball, cover spaces behind. He was really good in the quarterfinal against uh, Matisse Tell, who, as we've mentioned previous, is an absolutely extraordinarily uh, dynamic striker. Uh, but he also has quality on the ball, which Jeremy leaned on quite heavily. Uh, he has that sort of uh, that composure to to pick passes through lines with with speed and tempo, and he also has the technique to to loft them over the over lines and and switch it to the opposite wing. And then the other one then was uh, Samuele Di Benedetto, uh, not Italian as 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 Joe rightly points out, he's German, but uh, another one from the Stuttgart Academy, which which made up quite a lot of this Germany team. Uh, the first player, when I watched him, the first player that came to mind was uh, Niklas Dorsch. Uh, but Deed Benedetto is a bit more of a, a bit more of a mobile version, a bit more dynamic. Uh, he's small like Dorsch. He's a bit, uh, he has like these low socks, which, which is uh, typical of Dorsch as well. 
but uh, yeah, he could slip pressure really well. He has like a really nice change of tempo as a, as a dribbler, which just enabled him to to slice through lines and, and eliminate players. But he also has that speed of thought as a passer, uh, that two touch play where he just receives one with one touch and moves it on with the next. And uh, yeah, he was he did a really good job at the base of Germany's midfield, uh, covering all the spaces, setting the tempo. Uh, uh, setting the play as well, so yeah, I'm I'm I'll be really interested to see how he scales up to senior football because he's quite small, but he has that mobility, he has that uh, change of tempo, which which can help him as he steps up to probably the second team at Stuttgart and then hopefully the first team. Yeah, I was I was curious to find out why Paul Vanner wasn't in sort of even in the in in, in with a shout of. Um... The, the the substitutes bench for this for this um, team of the tournament because having watched that opening match, you know he was great movement between the lines. That great solo goal was was really well taken and just he seemed a constant threat. But I suppose you know w- with what you've said there, that makes that that makes sense of, as to why he hasn't he hasn't made it because obviously when you've got the likes of Jaden Slory on the bench who who did you know very very well um, and and consistently so across the tournament it's it was it's a competitive one to get in and just before we finish um i do want to mention one player who didn't make the the team who lou i know you're a big fan of um and you described as a one man counter attack and that's one of my favorite terms for a player uh in in world football carrie madiemi thinks my favorite uh, example of that he was obviously just joined uh, Borussia Dortmund, um, but that was uh, that was Kanga uh, Jardel Kanga, who I've probably butchered his name. Unfortunately, he plays for for Bayer Leverkusen and Sweden. Um, scored a few few good goals, um, and and again was just very very dynamic, very explosive. Um, was was a threat, you know. Was you know someone who, you, as a central defender or or even a fullback, you don't want to face up to them. You, you know, you don't want them to be running at you, and and you're forced to to jockey them as a defender because you, you know that he's going to burn past you. Yeah, another um, IF Broma... Oh my God, I've butchered that. IF Broma I'm keeping that in. Keeping that, in. <laughs> that is just... Yeah. It's impossible to do it in one, one take. <laughs> yeah, IF Broma Picarna Academy, which, if you don't know, is probably the best in Sweden, despite the club being a... Uh, uh, a bit of a yo-yo club. They've they've bounced through the divisions from the third to the first, but now they're in the second division. But they consistently produce uh, international level talent, and the this Sweden squad, which was underutilized in in quite a few ways. I think they played a brand of football which didn't suit the 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 technical players that they had across the pitch, which was a shame because this two thousand uh, two thousand five group that they have is is impressive. But yeah, um, seven of this group, uh, of the Sweden group, was were produced by uh, BP, which is pretty impressive. And uh, yeah, Kanga, he's moved on now to Bayer Leverkusen, uh, like Matteo Vinloff has to Bayern. But yeah, Kanga was that one man counter counter attack at times, especially in the way Sweden played. They were they were quite conservative, but then Kanga had the ability to to carry attacks. He had that. Uh, that speed, that electric speed, that frightened defenses. Uh, he had that ability to carry the ball and and shift into shooting positions. And uh, yeah, he was he was close to to uh, being the top scorer. I think he scored four in all. But yeah, he he was uh, he'll be one to watch at Bayer Leverkusen coming through now, like Iker Bravo. 
Steve, it's only fair that I give you uh, an honourable mention pick as well before we before we finish this week's episode. Who have you, who have you gone for? Who was was in contention for the squad but just just missed out? Uh, you're gonna have to give me like three or four. Uh, oh, I'm not gonna run no, over no, them. Come oh, on. Oh, oh. <laughs> All right, no, no, no. All right. So uh, I really enjoyed Noah Nati. I'm gonna give a shout out to Charlie MacArthur from Kilmarnock, but uh, we don't have any Italian players, so I'm gonna throw one Italian in there. And that's Aaron Chamalkella from Torino, who yes, uh, are, yes, that was my honorable pick. There we go. Uh, he is a really, really active uh, mezzala slash kind of box to box player. Uh, spent a lot of time kind of shuttling from the uh, right half space to then two seconds later defending in his own box, kind of in a similar capacity to Dario Sugo. Um, so yeah, he was my he was my pick. He looks really really intriguing, kind of a a weird ish skill set in the combination of his technicality, but also in his stamina and and you know willingness to just get through a whole lot of work. So uh, yeah, as a big Serie A fan, I'll be definitely plotting his uh, next moves in an Italian team that probably was a little bit uh, subpar compared to. Uh, what I expected, and compared probably to the under nineteen team that we're going to see playing in a in a month's time in the under nineteen era. Can I just mention one more as well? Oh, go on uh, then, go on. It's been a while. More, one more, one more, one more. Um, which is Valentin Atangana Edue for France. Uh, he was an ever present throughout the tournament. Uh, this little dynamo of a midfielder in 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 the middle of the park that could hurry around, uh, hurry around, uh, break up play move the ball on fairly quickly. He has a couple of issues in terms of accuracy and uh, and he can be pressed at times, which is something to, to, to follow as he stepped up to senior football. But he also has that ability to slip pressure. And uh, yeah, he was he was an impressive one. And another, there was three Stad Rams uh, products at this, to- at this tournament, which is the, the joint most representatives of in the France group, which is uh, pretty impressive for a, a fairly small club and it just sums up how well they run right i'm putting a stop to it now otherwise we're going to discuss every <laughs> single player at this tournament because you guys watched an unholy amount of under 17 football uh, over the past month or so so um yeah thank you very much for, for joining me on this thanks for your insight um the analysis on on all the players the team in the tournament and and if you want more uh, on this this competition in particular as, as I'm sure you'll have deduced, uh, Stephen Liu definitely uh, ruled the roost on, on, on this competition. Um, do get on over to the Scouted Football Patreon uh, and uh, there are comprehensive roundups from matches from, from game weeks and, and the like, uh, as well as a full write-up of the team of the tournament, which we've just run through. And a lot to come as well in the under-19 Euros. Under-19 Euros is going to be big. We'll be covering it again, just as we did this match day, uh, as uh, match day by match day. Lots of players to cover. Uh, again, team of the tournament, all that kind of stuff. So I'll be doing that. We've got also transfer roundups on lots of different clubs and different players coming on the Patreon. So sign up. We've got a lot of stuff going up there. Um, and yeah, thank you all again. Yeah, thank you very much for, for tuning in. This has been uh, the Scouted Football Podcast with myself, Joe Donahue, along with Stephen Ganavis and Lee Davies. Thank you for tuning in. Stay safe. Bye for now. For player profiles, in-depth features and exclusive interviews, visit sfhandbook.com to learn more about the best young football players in the world.